0: church do you walk into whenever you're going into worship? Throughout the history of Christianity, there have been a wide variety of attitudes, different temperaments, different trials and tribulations that congregations have gone through. And today we're going to be examining the Church of Philadelphia as is detailed in the church in the book of Revelation. And as we come to investigate this church, we're going to look at some of the mystery of this door that is talked about and the fact that Jesus is opening pathways for them to minister. So thank you for joining us. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And as you can see, we've got a new studio. We're no longer in Chord Purgatory. <laughs> we have moved up. Um, don't really have a name for this one yet. We'll see what happens. But I'm Pastor J. Dillon Proctor. There are others with me today.
1: I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow.
0: Pastor Anthony Algarria. And
2: I'm Pastor Mike Proctor.
0: Well, before we go much further, we do thank you for joining us, but let's take a few moments and bow our heads in prayer. Brother
3: Anthony, would you open us up in prayer today? Yep. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the meditations of our hearts, both in this studio and at home, and the words of our mouths be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 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 And again, thank you for joining us. If you want to join in on the conversation as we study this
0: mysterious book. That is the book of Revelation, the last one there in our New Testament. Please send us your thoughts, your questions, or comments. You can find us on a lot of different places. Of course, we're on Facebook, YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Jade Dylan Proctor. We're on Instagram, putting some memes and things up there. We've also got a website, and we'll be publishing some new things there, kingdomofthelogos.com. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's get right into this church here in Philadelphia. And the nice thing about this is it's got a name that I think everyone can pronounce. I don't know about y'all. Y'all feel like y'all can pronounce that? Yeah,
1: and not, not keep calling it the mascara. Yeah, it's I not. I think we're going to be better. <laughs> yeah.
0: Philadelphia, it's a easy one for us to pronounce, those of us who are English speakers. And when we come to this church, we find that they are given praise. There is a door that has been opened to them. And I don't know about you all, but whenever you read through the book of Revelation, you find some images that are a bit complex. You don't really understand where they are. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, well, and just recently in our... our um, Lesson prep I was reading out of one commentary that said John wasn't very uh, concerned with keeping his metaphors consistent uh, either. So that adds another layer of complexity to this. So, how he uses a door or the temple is not how he's going to use it maybe in in chapters later. So um, yes, it's a wonderfully mysterious book. Yeah, and
0: we're here to investigate the mystery. Again, we are a program of critical thinking and adventure, meaning we're going to look at the premises behind this, the premises, and understand where exactly Jesus is coming from in these revelations and where he's wanting us to go. But at the same time we understand there is mystery. These are revelations. We're not going to be able to explain everything. And if we did explain away all the mysteries, We would not be good scholars, but rather we would all be heretics who should be excommunicated. We need to bring bringing that one back. We should start saying we're going to be excommunicating to morale improves. And that's where we'll be. Anyways, so to this, there is a door that is talked about, and it is kind of fascinating to examine. And without any further hesitation, let's actually read from the book of Revelation chapter 3 and find out what church is going on here. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, And the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of the synagogues of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word for patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to the test of the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon, so hold fast to what you have, so that none of you, no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches." So here we are. That is the scripture we've got for the church in Philadelphia. And again, this is Jesus, and there's a messenger angel that's kind of there in the middle, and then there's John who's receiving this revelation, and this is the letter that is going to this congregation. So again, back to some of the history we've talked about before, John is a real person. He was one of the twelve apostles, and when I say twelve, I'm including Paul and not Judas um, in saying that. And John, he was an apostle to the region of Asia Minor. So all of these seven churches are up under John, and John ministers to them in various extents and various capacities. But what's fascinating about the church in Philadelphia is they really don't have much of a reproach at all in this. There's not a lot of chastising. It's generally a very encouraging letter. But there's also some things in there that we really need to talk about. So let's get into the history of this a little bit. Pastor Amanda, would you share with us some of the history on the church in Philadelphia?
1: All right, and so this is taken um, from Bruce M. Meltzker's book, Breaking the Code, um, that has the history of Philadelphia. So the city was founded in the 2nd century BC by Attalus II Philadelphos, one of the kings of Pergamum. It was the youngest of the seven cities, and when we say the seven cities, it was those uh, that are being addressed um, in the book of Revelation. Philadelphos is the Greek word for one who loves his brother. And such was the affection that Attalus had for his brother, Eumenes, uh, that he was then called, Attalus was then called, Philadelphos. The historian Strabo called Philadelphia a city of earthquakes. Earth tremors were frequent and had caused many to leave for a safer home. The severe earthquake of 17 AD, which also devastated the city of Sardis, which is the church we talked about in previous weeks, uh, it almost completely destroyed Philadelphia. Uh, It seems through our study that Sardis was able to rebuild a little bit faster and a little bit better than Philadelphia. By the end of the 90s AD, uh, the city was completely rebuilt and people were pretty well living and working within it.
0: Okay, so that's a little bit of the history of Philadelphia. And to put that, just to recap it a bit, Philadelphia, it was a city that was under construction. So some of the cities we've talked about before, they've been major places of trade. Some have been placed geographically on top of a hill and they've got great military advantage. Some of them are just in control of other trade routes and therefore important. But Philadelphia was a city and the church there in it that had been under construction it's been under construction for quite a while. A lot of the people, they're not living necessarily in the inner part of the city, but more on the outskirts, what we might think of the suburbs of this day and age. And they're living kind of outside of the city. It's still a city, and there's still an epicenter there, central to it all. But they've kind of moved to the outside while things are being built. And so this is fascinating because, again, this kind of tells you their context. There's new growth going on. And I know if you've ever been in a church when a town is growing you're all thinking about well how do we capitalize on this new growth how do we make sure that we're on the right side of town if you've ever been part of a building project which is well we'll just not comment on building projects (laughs) but you're always well wondering what the best position for the church is this particular congregation is in a city that is under construction so that definitely plays a role in the questions of the open doors and things of that nature which we'll get to and really that kind of can give you an image of what they're like. But there are other questions that you might have about that history, like who is Attalus and how does that relate to Rome? Is he one of the Roman emperors, someone like Caesar Augustus? And the answer to that question is no, he's not a Roman emperor. Um, he's part of the Adelaide empire. And even though they're connected to Rome and they're allies to Rome, they were actually a separate state than Rome. But again, when the city was built and the Adelaide empire back you know, two centuries before Christ, things change over 200 years. So by the time you've got this church there in Philadelphia, uh, Rome has already taken over the region. All that's now history that's behind them in that period of 200 years, you know, Rome is growing, they're taking over places. And this happens to be one of those places which has been taken over by Rome. And the church, it is in a city that its surrounding territories, they're all part of Rome. So even though it has a history that's a little bit similar to Rome, but not quite Rome, it is now fully a Roman place. And you do find that here in Philadelphia, similar to some of the other cities, there is an imperial cult that is here, so people worshiping Caesar. But interestingly enough, that's not one of the things which is really addressed by Jesus. The church isn't really chastised for having these sort of heresies and apostasy going on internally, but instead they just get this generally encouraging letter. So another thing we would need to talk about is the name Philadelphia itself. Now you may have listened closely and heard that word Philo in there like love, but brother anthony would you talk to us a little bit about philadelphia and what this name means
3: well uh adelphos is brother adelphi is sister uh fun fact but adelphos is brother and then uh, philia is brotherly love and so um philadelphia means you know uh, one who loves his brother sounds pretty straightforward
1: mm-hmm. sounds pretty easy and and also if you're thinking i've heard that name before there's a philadelphia in pennsylvania that's quite famous uh, that was Established by Quakers uh, during the colonization of the U.S. But uh, just, just in case it was like, wait, hold on. This is the one that's in, uh, in Turkey, not the one that's up yes, in New England. Yes.
0: Um, and the picture we had earlier was not William Penn. <laughs> um, that was of Attalus. Attalus yes. yeah. So all that together, let's continue investigating this a little bit. So we've read the scripture. We've learned a little bit about this place's history. And it's great that they've got good news. In that opening question I had about what church are you walking into, we know that from our examination of these seven churches in the book of Revelation, all the ones we've looked at so far, the first five before this one, we're on number six now, their spirit is alive and well. You can find places just like Thyatira, places like Smyrna, um, Pergamum, all of them, they are alive and well, whether or not you go to that specific building. And obviously the members of that congregation, they have not with us anymore but we do come here and find that this church is a little bit different than most of them. You do find some getting praised more than others. Not everyone gets a chastising in these seven churches, but where do we find the Church of Philadelphia today? And In order for us to answer that question, we need to find out more about what's within the text. And the big thing I want us to talk about is that door. So, Pastor Amanda, talk to me some about how the history of a door is relevant to Christianity.
1: Well, um, in, a, in ancient Christianity, or I guess I should more say first century, Um not sure how long something has to be for it to be ancient. But anyways, um, in...
0: Well, I would think first century counts first as ancient. First century is ancient, okay.
1: Yeah. Um, well, in, in the first century Christianity, uh, the symbol of the door was often used as this idea of missions. Um, so by saying in this particular passage that a door is set before you and also this language of a door that no one can shut, no one can open... Um, or that there's someone who can open a door no one can shut and shut a door no one can open is this idea that there's this mission, uh, this missiology, this command uh, that is being given to the people there in Philadelphia Um, and of course that uh, the symbol of a door will evolve throughout Christendom but at least at this point of the writing uh, really what what John is trying to portray to to the congregation in Philadelphia is that um, there's a mission, a call that is being given to the people
0: yeah, Pastor Mike, I know that we've said that we don't know everything about this church, but yet we can understand some things about it. We can unravel a bit of the mystery by looking to what the text says. The revelation seems to indicate that even though they don't have much power, they still have a great mission. What do we know about the size of this church and some of the things that they're doing?
2: Well, I can tell you this, that the, the size of um, you know wants them to, to seize the moment. Uh, you're talking about, you know, the, the door. Uh, it has been opened for them to minister. Uh, it so it could be, you know, at any any size of the church. That that's not as relevant as I think the fact that, um, you know, they are have experienced a natural disaster, an earthquake, uh, and so we still have churches today that that national sure. disasters, and so they feel powerless. Yeah, and this, and so you know that. I notice that a lot of our congregations are getting smaller um, in in uh, North America. The average size is much smaller than it used to be several years ago, and so they they feel that that emptiness. But the truth is, the power is not within us as as us, but it, the power belongs to Christ. And so, a lot of times when we look at these scriptures, it's translated um, a little different as being able, but that is still that power, um, and that that is
0: Christ who is able to do all things and open and close doors. Certainly, and one of the things that a lot of people infer from this text is that it's a smaller church, though they're doing great things. Again, churches come at different seasons, and there are times where people are kind of holding on to things, trying to maintain, there are times where the church is underground because there's great persecution. But here in Philadelphia, there seems to be a great opportunity for a congregation who, even though they have limited power, they are also called by Christ. And they've been commissioned by Christ to go out and spread the gospel. And they're doing great things. And they're doing this in spite of all the reasons to feel loom and gloom. One of the things we know that from Revelation we've learned so far is that whenever a church does have a bad attitude... They get called out for it in the book of Revelation. If, right. What, no matter really what it is, they get called out for it. The fact that Jesus is not calling them out for an attitude of being downtrodden or something like that seems to indicate that they have a really great disposition about all this. They've got great um, attitude. They've got a great trajectory set before them. They're, they're really thinking about stuff with the right mentality. Well, you know, obviously there is a connection between the
2: the word power and keeping whether, it, you know, be you know, Christ is able, so there's a yep. transference of, of Christ's power within them even though they they don't have any power within themselves, but it is that power of Christ working uh, in them and through them. They are not promised some utopia f- as, you know, at, you know, type thing, but they are able to work And so this keeping—that's an interesting uh, word. Um, You know, it can also be guarding. So they're guarding the word. They're guarding their faith. And so Christ is going to guard them and keep them. So this faithfulness. It's a beautiful uh, church that is paint the picture that is painting here of the the church in Philadelphia.
3: Yeah, interesting, Anthony. I think additionally also um, you can definitely see even like really really great compliments and words. Of uh, encouragement to the churches as something that is also being used to sort of shape and correct and so you could argue that um, the revelator didn't see the need to necessarily you know prop them up and all these other things like even with the churches that were very um, heavily chastised they there was there was lots of things thrown in to say you are doing these things great you're doing these things awesome this church doesn't seem to be in need of those corrective measures and even most of what's said in the passage to it to the church is more so about the world around them and how things are going to be going down and almost sort of like this is useful information like you know um how uh those who are in the synagogue of Satan will recognize one day that I have loved you yeah and so like you know there's this idea of final justice yeah um
0: let's go back to talk about this door a little bit because the door is a fascinating image. Mm-hmm. And as Pastor Man has pointed out, this is related to Christian missions. It's a great image for that. But it also puts us in a place where many of us, we want to know what is it like to have Christ open a door for you? And again, we are a program of critical thinking and adventure. We've gone on this expedition to visit the ancient church of Philadelphia and see where it's at today. I want us to take our minds to a place where we're trying to figure out the premise of what Jesus means when he's talking about this door. So there's a popular image that we we have of Christ knocking on the heart's door. And many of you have seen this in churches, maybe in your own church where you're attending right now. And one of the things which is evident about this is there's no door handle on it. And this is a piece of art which is clearly meant to indicate a heart. It The implied lines of this looks like a heart. And if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, Um, The title of this painting is Christ knocking at the heart's door and you've probably seen it at some point in time in your life. Um, But we also know that whenever it comes to matters of your personal decision to follow Jesus, Christ is not a totalitarian micromanager who takes away your free will. Christ puts us in a position where we must make a choice. This is fundamental to the gospel. This is fundamental to what Jesus does. He comes to people and says, I'm not coming to condemn, I'm coming to save. And you have a choice if you want to follow me or not. And we know that Jesus, he knocks on the door of our heart and we must make the choice whether or not we're going to open it. But when it comes to what's going on with the Church of Philadelphia, we know that it is a different knocking on the door than that. And so I bring this up so we can kind of use the Socratic method and try to figure out what exactly it is that Jesus is doing. Because, historically speaking, we look at the nature of God, we look at the nature of of Christ throughout the Gospels, he's not one to come and eradicate people's free will. So him knocking on the door isn't someone coming and saying, hey, I've got a new opportunity for you and it basically looks like this, here's a paycheck for 40 hours of work but you don't have to go to work anymore. It's not like that. What we often find throughout the Gospel and one of the main premises we find in the Gospel is that Jesus He gives us tools to help us live on the way of life. Um, You look at the sending of the Holy Spirit there on Pentecost. It comes to quicken us to live righteously and live in a Christ-like manner. We look at sanctification. We look at the, the conviction the Spirit gives us. These are all wonderful tools to help us live as good Christians. And Jesus, he is opening a door for them. And as I said earlier, churches are at different seasons. There are times where the church is operating underground. And it kind of runs things a little bit differently. There are times where the church is under great persecution and it's trying to figure out how to minister in that. Um, There are times where churches are new churches and they're not mature yet. And they're kind of figuring out who they are and trying to establish themselves. Well, right now we've got a church that is mature. It's been around for a while. And Jesus is opening a door for them to minister. And it's fascinating that we see, again, this isn't him coming and saying, I'm taking away your free will and doing all the work for you but I am inviting you to minister to this world around you. And kind of all the things have lined up for them to do this and it's, it's really beautiful to see. Pastor Mike? Well, you know, I, I, this is a holiness
2: text by, you know, and, and I guess is, you know, being of the uh, Nazarene uh, persuasion here, it's obviously to find holiness in so many things, but holiness is about belonging to God. And so this partnership uh, power. God is the one with the power. God is the one that this church belongs to. And this church is set apart. Is it? It is holy. And so uh, I like to use the illustration of, of perhaps even a, a racetrack, whether it be NASCAR or whatever type of racetrack, you know, when, when the door is opened and shut uh, as they turn into that curve, uh, you know, you can kind of get down below there and there's an open door to pass. But when you have an owner that has two drivers and a, and a team there, um, you know, there may be one who, who, who has, um, um, uh, you know, a greater set of tires on it or whatever and, and, you know, he's kind of working and opening doors maybe for his teammate and so when we see our, us as a, in partnership with God, and God has all the power, is able to open doors that we're not, it's not just, hey, I'm going to get a new job, this is open, because there are figurative doors, there are literal doors in the figurative sense, this isn't just about prosperity, but this is about the mission and purpose of God and us asking that power and transference of God to come and use us for God's purpose which is reconciling uh, the world and and love. What do you think Dylan?
0: Yeah this is about seizing the moment. Yeah. So the knocking on the door here and the opening of the door isn't Jesus coming and saying make that choice of salvation. This is a church that is established and mature. The people that are here they're not the, the pagans that are in Rome. This letter is written to the Christians who are already Christians and he's saying you are called go on the Great Commission seize the moment Mm -hmm. and we really need to understand that that door has been opened for them to seize the moment and now they're being challenged to seize the moment. Again they're not being chastised for being lazy or anything like that at all but they're just being told continue in your works and seize the moment the door is open good things will happen when you go out and seize this moment. Pastor Mike? You know I think
2: also um, as uh, Anthony was pointing out earlier when it was it was talking about the door that is set before them. It is is that uh, Greek word in the perfect tense. I'll let Anthony talk a little more about that. But it is it is that the fact that it is a gift, and and that gift of God is in in that sense. He can tell us more about that perfect tense. But it is very pertinent to the time of the writing. I think it's very pertinent to us today yeah. that it is a gift for this door to be open for sure. us to participate in, in uh, the work that God is doing.
3: Yeah. Anthony, you want to respond to that? Yeah, sure. Um, so the text here says set before you. A uh, better plain translation is to give. Um, that's what the word more closely means. And so even in English grammar, we can see a uh, what we might call an aorist tense and then the difference between a perfect tense. If it were to be aorist, it would be finished, done in the past and uh, something that happened before. So it could say, I gave you an open door or I set before you an open door. But it says instead, I have set before you an open door or it could also be said, I have given you an open door. And so um, the Greek word translates better I have set before or I have given you and this means that it has happened but it still holds relevancy into the present and so at the time that the revelator gave this revelation uh, it's very clear that Christ the open door that Christ gave is not something that was given and is no more but it was given and still is open to those people Amen. okay so
0: the main takeaway I think of that is that it is relevant to understand the door is open yeah seize the moment don't feel downtrodden because there's always reasons to feel downtrodden, especially if you're in a city that's been kind of messed up by an earthquake and now things are being rebuilt. Sure, there's the temptation to say, oh, woe is me. We decided to build the church property, but they built a new highway, you know, 100 yards away, and now we're in the backwoods or something like that. There's always reasons to be negative, downtrodden, you know, to feel victimized by stuff. But Jesus, he comes to them and says, seize the moment. The door is open. Well, and I but- just, just seize that moment.
2: Yeah, and I know Pastor Amanda said earlier that, uh, I think she was reading from Metzger, it said most people were living in the city by probably the time of this writing, but not all. Uh, Most does not mean everyone. So, you know, this city who had had been devastated by this earthquake. uh, There's a lot of people that are still, you know, things probably haven't been built just, even though it's recovered, there is still people living outside the city. And... uh, uh, you know, still fighting all the chaos that ensued with that natural
0: disaster. Sure. Well one of the things I think is fascinating about this too is when we look at something like superheroes, so you look at Batman, um, one of the things which is actually the craziest part of a lot of comic books and superhero stories is that they're actually able to respond to the villains within the time frame that the villain's committing the crime. So you think of something like the Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire, and you've got the Green Goblin, his ex-business partners, they voted him out, and he's there on his glider throwing the little bombs at him. And suddenly Spider-Man is there to, like, combat him and try to save some people. The possibility of there being a hero within proximity, much less able to turn into a costume and get up there and fight him, while he's throwing a grenade, like, literally, it takes seconds to do that. The response time of that is just Crazy to imagine that happening. I mean, you look at the real world. You ain't um, going to be able to
3: call 911
0: that quick. Yeah, law, law <laughs> enforcement, even when law enforcement is working at its optimal efficiency, is not going to be able to respond to stuff very quickly. So we realize that there is a miracle in being able to respond to a moment in a timely fashion. You know, I think that's one of the, the superpowers that is often overlooked in superheroes is that they're actually able to be there when they need to be there. This church is in a place where there is a moment to be seized. There is good construction going on. There is good, you know, just transformation going on in the city. And the church is placed in a moment where they can capitalize on this. And they're being praised by Jesus through the revelator for their good works. And also reminded that, look, this moment is here. This door is open. And remember, I'm the one who sits on the throne. I have the ability to open doors. You know, don't worry about the doors, whether or not they're open. If I open it, it's open. If I shut it, it's shut. Mm -hmm. I am the one who judges the living and the dead. You kind of get that mentality here that you find going all the way back to the gospels, that Jesus is telling them, you're here, here's the moment. And and it's a miraculous thing to be able to be in a moment where you are sort of like Spider-Man responding to the Green Goblin for it to be such a, a timely opportunity to come together. Which, of course, regardless of where we're at, we should be spreading the gospel. I'm not here to say that you have to be in the right moment for that. But they're being uniquely praised for where they're at and uniquely reminded for the door that has been opened right in front of them. Well, and I think, too, as well, you know,
2: when you look at the seven churches, this may have been the smallest on that trade route of all seven. Yeah. And and so there's this sense of you know being small well you know i don't have much power of little power but the truth is when when god calls upon you and you keep the faith and you keep the word and you you are being faithful then god is going to use you tremendously and we see this so relevant to us today as the churches and so we've talked about you know the spirit of these churches are they alive today well obviously i am just uh you know encouraged by this
0: yeah. uh, tremendously. There for a second I thought he was going to spoil the end of the program. You we'll have to wait to the end for our thoughts on whether or not this church is alive. <laughs> but um, anyways, let's talk more about some of the other language you find here. The New Testament in general, and particularly these churches here in Revelation, they're filled with language of victory. Uh, and I, I feel like the modern church, we've walked away from a lot of our strong language. But the language of conquering is there within this text. Jesus is an avid avid advocate for being a conqueror with him. If you can get that complex sentence (laughs) out there. And the New Testament is filled with this victorious language. Jesus does not look at the world as a place where we should avoid conflict. That's one of the great misnomers we have as, as Christians. And we need to understand that of the many premises that's found in the New Testament, avoiding conflict is not one of them. Now, the gospel of Christ brings peace, but it also teaches us that peace and salvation come at a great cost. There is a conflict between life and death. And Jesus, he descends into the abode of the dead to be victorious over death. Jesus comes to conquer things. And when we find the churches here and those who are early Christians, Jesus encourages them to be conquerors with him. Now, not always when we're conquering, do we look like St. George over there next (laughs) to Pastor Mike, who's over there slaying a dragon. Um, So for those of you who are listening only, we've got some new posters and things up. And there's one of St. George and the Dragon. I don't know if Anthony's got the camera where people can see that. Um, Pastor Mike also has a dog, which looks a lot like the dragon there. This is one of the more creative um, renditions of St. George and the Dragon. The dragon usually looks more like a crocodile. And, of course, he's there, I believe, in Libya. But, um, you know, we don't always look like that. I hope Pastor Mike doesn't look like that when he's petting his dog at home. You've got a dog that looks a lot like that dragon. I assure you not. Okay. okay. I assure you, I do not look like that. <laughs> you uh, don't look like that very with Very compassionate and uh, good to my dogs. But um, we are called to be conquerors. And Jesus wants to remind us that there is conflict. And again, as Pastor Mike referenced earlier, they're not promised a utopia in the moment. Jesus says, I'm coming again. So if any of you think that there's going to be a utopia before then... I, I don't know where that comes from. Jesus says there's going to be conflict, there's going to be people who apostate, there's going to be a cause, all kinds of things. But we must be looking forward to that moment when Christ returns and we must be conquerors with him in the moment. So I know you talked a little bit about power and keeping and the transference of power. I just want to remind us that Christ is going to return. And when we say that Christ has power, That doesn't mean that he's on the throne and we all get to sit here and say, oh, we're not going to do anything because Christ is on the throne. It means that while Christ is on the throne, he has commissioned us to go out on, well, circular logic reminds us, the great commission (laughs) to go out (laughs) to baptize others in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to make disciples to the nations. Um, If you're a Nazarene, you know that we have our our slogans and things to make disciples through all the nations. Christ-like. Christ-like disciples, yes, (laughs) through all the nations. Christ is going to return. This church—they're a place where they've endured. They've kept close to orthodoxy. They've got a great opportunity, and it's a good place to be. Well, let's get to those final thoughts. Do we? What do we think about the Church of Philadelphia? Is it alive today, Pastor Amanda?
1: Well, yeah, I, I think so, and I think a lot of it. As I was kind of reflecting, we were discussing about um, kind of the dynamics that the Church of Philadelphia is really facing. It, it reminds us a lot, I think, a little bit of Nashville, specifically, in the sense of uh, Nashville is a growing city. It's a changing city. Um, obviously our, our communities and what I mean like the specific small ones even within Nashville are not like they were when uh, where we lit, where Trinity is specifically a lot of those homes were built in the late 40s early 50s and I mean it's gone through several different changes in um, the last 60 70 years and I think we can we can do two one of two things when we are faced with these great changes even if they're not a natural disaster like an earthquake uh, we can either shrink back and kind of mourn the loss of how things used to be uh... that the town doesn't look like it used to uh... the people who are moving into our town aren't like the people who used to uh... live there the culture is changing languages are changing uh... The power dynamic of Christianity is changing. Uh, So we can either bemoan that or we can, like the Church of Philadelphia, be encouraged to seize the opportunity, as Pastor Dylan said, that there is a door set before us. There are multiple doors set before us and lots of opportunities. Uh, They are not easy opportunities. Uh, Going through the door is not a simple task, um, and there are easier tasks to take up. uh, But this is the, the thing we have been called to. And this idea of mission is not just simply... Uh, Let's send money to some far off country somewhere out there, although it can definitely include that. This idea of mission is stepping outside your door um, and finding those opportunities uh, that yes, God is in control, God is all powerful, and yet for some reason this God decides to partner with us very weak and sometimes very dumb humans uh, to complete his mission. And so um, so this is really encouraging. And when I say the church is alive, this church of Philadelphia, I hope it's still alive. Because I hope we find the empowerment uh, to to go through the doors that are set before us. Amen. Yeah,
0: and just to build off that a little bit. So there are churches that really all of Roman culture goes through changes every so many years. You find mm-hmm. this new Caesars come, stuff changes. Now there were churches that responded to the changes by embracing heresies and things. You find some of them who are like, okay, Rome's come in here. We're going to mix in a little bit of that. And even sometimes when it wasn't from Roman influences, you'd have people come along and be like, well, here's the new prophecy. This is the new version of God. And really um, grotesque heresies would come out of this. And sometimes churches embrace that. And you see Jesus chastised. You got things like the Nicolaitans. Um, You get some references there, synagogues of Satan, things of that. Even though this church doesn't have any chastised like that, you see that synagogue of Satan in some earlier churches. You find there are churches who respond to that by embracing the spirit of the age but the church that is here is one that has maintained orthodoxy and says we're going to capitalize we're not going to bemoan it. we're not going to be downtrodden and we're not going to sit around and be naysayers and talk about how this is all the end instead we're going to move towards revival and that's a positive message we need to hear in our nation as our nation does evolve and really all of western culture is changing and it's changing quite rapidly um, revival is something to look for and to pursue and to be working towards that is a, a thing that we must aspire toward because Christ is here to to work with us. And those who endure with Him and conquer with Him, we're we're going to be blessed to, to see the fruits of His kingdom. Um, Pastor Mike, your thoughts on this? Is the Church of Philadelphia alive? Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's not because of uh well it's because of two things. The main thing
2: is it's because Christ is the 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 source of our power. In fact that word uh dynamite comes from the Greek word dunamis, always almost always uh, affiliated with the holy spirit being uh, the the power the almighty power from god and uh, when we keep the faith again we are the doors are open and god is faithful to us so absolutely uh, i believe that the spirit of this church is still alive
0: uh, pastor anthony what do you think
3: yeah i think it is i think you guys have uh, covered it pretty well uh I don't really have any more nuance to add. You guys did a good job. All
0: right, well, I will say this. Amanda said she hopes the church is still alive, and that's actually the answer I'm going to give as well. Mm-hmm. I think you can get a read on where the four of us are at, and those of you in the audience, send your thoughts on this. Do you think Philadelphia is alive and well? The churches that have clear heresies in them, we all of us, without a, her- <laughs> without a shadow of second, no moment of, of contemplation, yeah, they're clearly still around. But when it's one that gets such wonderful praise. We're, myself and Pastor Amanda, we're at a place where we say we hope this is here. We really hope the spirit of this church is here. Amen. Um, and I like the, the moral certainty that Anthony and, and Pastor Mike have on this, um, but but I do. I'm at a place where I really hope this is here uh, because it is, it's a wonderful thing to see and it's greatly encouraging. Uh, reading the Church of Philadelphia in Revelation is one of the easiest things to read in the book and one of the most encouraging places to read. Pastor Minna?
1: well, I was just going to say, as as a reminder, and we're talking about kind of this idea of, of not just kind of wallowing in, in the bad times that are coming. This is an apocalyptic literature. It, it is a book, an apocalyptic literature is uniquely written to a people that are in bad times. Uh, this is not. So we're not belittling the difficulties of this church or any of the churches who have heard the, this these letters. Um, even we can go back to the Book of Daniel, which is uh, has parts that are apocalyptic. Uh, they, so we're not trying to belittle the bad times, either in these books or in the present. What we're saying is we, we have this hope. And yeah. so uh, to, to, to say again, we hope this church is alive. This is not a wish. This is not just, um, oh, maybe. Uh, th- but this is this idea that even in the midst of difficulty, uh, may we learn to trust in the one who is all-powerful. So that's that's kind of, I'm trying to clarify some of our language, I guess, and really don't have to, but, um, so yeah, this hope, it, it, it is more than a wish. It is true assurance and, and anticipation of, of Christ uh, coming and setting things all right, and also in this present age, uh, that breaking in a little bit, hopefully through us.
2: Yeah, well... And and you know, the the I think one of the key differences between prophetic literature and apocalyptic literature is in, in prophetic literature there is that that sense if 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 we change then God then we can be saved. When you get to apocalyptic, there is that place. There's nothing we can do to be saved. All we must place our entire hope in God to do something. And so I, I resonate with Pastor Amanda. He says, I hope. My, I pray that those churches who are so devastated can find hope in Christ Jesus, and that is our hope,
0: yeah. Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Pastor Mike, why don't you close for us in prayer, if we may? I think we've had a good conversation on this. Again, those of you in the audience, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for spending time with us. Again, send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. If there's anything you'd like for us to respond to, talk about, please let us know. Uh, yes. Pastor Mike, would you close Let's us? Let's pray. In I'd
2: like to ask everyone out there who's watching to pray with me and listening. Uh, and now, may the Holy One who has the power to open door that no one can shut. Empower uh, those of us in this room and all of those watching today to hold fast to the love that
0: you have for us, almighty God,
2: that has been given to us. And amen. 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 Jesus.
0: Uh, thank you, Pastor Mike. And with that, we hope that you enjoyed this program. Be sure to download our podcast, Take Us With You. Again, we're ever improving. So send us your thoughts if you've got some things that you'd like us to talk about. If you want to guess some of the little artifacts we have hidden throughout our studio now that are there for you to see, as we get close to Epiphany, we may have some others. Oh, we're going to have the Gideons on um, sometime soon. That'll be looking, looking fun. Anyways, thank you for joining us with that. God love you, and have a blessed day.